Hi, Steve Addison here for the Movements Podcast. Podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're going to hear the second and final part of the story of a movement of God in Rajasthan. Our guests are Glenn and Rhonda Stewart. Takeoff, I think, was largely enabled through what we call the Every Member Ministry maps. And so every house has a, a, a way to keep track of where they are in the process. So they've got 35 stories, and the second lesson is nine stories. And through this, they were able to manage their time really well, specifically how many Bible studies they had. They could give them particular days and, and times that they needed to attend to a, a specific meeting. And so that was really, really beneficial. Along with the SD card, then, they had the ability just to go and press play and take people through the process time and time again. And so, like we'd mentioned, I think last time, it's really a, a slow process. It only looks fast if you're looking in from the outside and you just see the numbers, mm-hmm. right? You see the numbers and now it's like, wow, you know, this is crazy. But if you can get that discipleship multiplication where one shoulder is training another shoulder and training another shoulder, then, you know, two becomes four. Everybody can do the math, right? Four is eight, eight, 16, 32, 64. It just takes off. And so I think some of the times uh, people looking in from the outside say, we're going so fast and we don't care about depth, but that's just a perception issue because it's a slow process every single time. And everybody is going through all the content. And so that made all of those young believers, even till now, Steve, we we're like from 2015 to 23. So some of the most senior Christians in the movement, you know, are eight years of age in those eight years most of them would have gone through the Bible probably six, seven times. So there's a slow process. You've still got the messengers, the servants coming with the SD card. So you've got to have someone in each home. They've got 35 lessons to get through uh, for each home. But that slow process is happening simultaneously in so many households, and then the new believers are engaging themselves in that same process with their neighbors. And, and so, that- you know, it's more than just the 35 lessons. Once once the 30, once they get through the 35 lessons, which is what we, what is our gospel presentation, and they, um, they come to the point of, um, you know, repent and believe and, and be baptized, they make that decision then. And then from there begins their begins a discipleship process where um, they learn to go out and start Bible studies. Um, they go through doctrine lessons that's based on the Baptist faith and message. They go through a, a leadership development um, set of lessons that's based on uh, Titus one and two. So they're still moving through a lot of discipleship as well as going out and beginning their own evangelistic in-home Bible studies uh, within their oikos. And so I think that's too what we mean by the process is slow. It's slow every time they're going through a lot of content 
But because we have really worked to instill this idea of an every member ministry that we want every every person in that home to participate and um, we want every person in that home to be discipled, every person in that home to get the same content. We don't do any specialized trainings where we pull the, you know, what we would consider leaders. We give everybody the same content and expect um, everybody to participate um, to the level, to the degree that they can. Some people might think that, well, you're just getting baptism, then you're leaving and leaving them high to dry, high and dry, so to speak. Now, that, that's not the case at all, right? They they're going through all kinds of Bible content, and for a long period of time, uh, until they're challenged to start their own Bible studies and and grow independently. Yeah. You see someone who's um, a dirt farmer um, and a little rough around the edges. But God is just full, filling them full of their Holy Spirit. Uh, they have the Word of God. And so that combination uh, of the Holy Spirit and God's Word, as one has uh, said before, is the secret sauce that makes it all work. Um, we do, however, uh, stress when we talk about church identification or identifying as as church, um, we, we have... Um, looked at the the household, the individual households and the head of that household as the shepherd of that house church, because sometimes they are the first believing family in that village. And we want them to have that identity as being uh, the body of Christ in that village. Also, many of these families, as we mentioned before, um, a lot of our people are itinerant farmers. And so they move from place to place. So we wanted them all to feel complete and, and to have that identity when they move to, to another area to do harvest, that they are the body of Christ in that location. And so we have um, worked to instill that in each individual household. But what we found as multiple families began to believe within villages, they joined together. And it's really a beautiful thing, a very, it seems to us growing up in a in the Western church, um, a very uh, New Testament type of feel, um, they, um, they gather together in various ways, various times throughout the week. They'll have, you know, one evening a week where they'll gather just for singing and, and prayer. They'll have another evening in the week where maybe they get together uh, for Bible study, another evening in the week where the men gather together. Uh, another strategy. yeah, another day where they'll get together just for accountability and talk about what villages are we going to and um, do we need SD? Do we need you know? Is anybody needing SD cards? Uh, you know, another time they may get together and just the women pray for for what's happening. So, like that, various times throughout the week, um, they're gathering together, not just a one-time weekly uh, meeting. Yeah, Once they congregate as a larger body, that's not like where they stay, they're still having the Bible studies in their home. They'll still be giving baptism from the leader of the household or whomever leads another family through the content uh, and gets to repent, believe, and be baptized. And so if, if, I think if we could imagine from a Western perspective, a church 
full of people that were going out, meeting three or four times a week, sharing God's word and and coming back together. The strength of that congregation, right? The depth and the breadth of their knowledge, experience of trusting God to to do impossible things. I was hearing a story this morning about a, a, a guy that went to check on uh, a neighbor's children because he knew the father and, and mother without going to work. And the the boy was in the courtyard, been bitten by a Russell's viper, you know? And so it was just community working together, right? Taking care of each other, looking in on each other so that uh, that boy's life was actually saved. We got to the hospital in time. Uh, you know, better, better disciples make better church. That we have been able to keep this to like five guys that receive any sort of stipend. And this is less, less than a hundred dollars a month. Yeah. It's for, only just a supplement. These guys are all still by vocation. They're all still working. They're not taking anybody out of their job and, and saying, you know, sort of there, here's this, here's this idea of, you know, a master trainer or something, you're fully funded and all this kind of thing. We just kept everybody on the grassroots level so that the expansion doesn't get overwhelmed, right? I mean, if you get to this kind of um, growth, you're just, you're bound to run out of money. You're just bound to. I mean, I don't care if, what the small amount is. It, you you can't do you know, 200, everybody can do the math, right? You, you got 200 people on a hundred bucks a month, man, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big budget. So we've been able to keep away from that. And God's just continued to bless the growth through, um, through just uh, asking every person, you know, and even their trainings and all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, there's no reason we don't have to buy biscuits and tea or anything. I mean, you always have tea, right? There's no reason for me to start buying it right? <laughs> You're going to have tea when you want tea. And I think it was a challenge was as, as it spread out, I didn't want to appoint areas or leadership or anything, but I, it just gave them the idea that it, as far as the electricity goes, it can only go so far down a line until it needs a substation to re-energize re-energize that electricity so that it can keep going further. And so if you guys will just think about that, I don't know if it's three generations or five generations or eight generations, just however it works out, whatever guys have the capacity or, or women that can help with that, however it works out, let's just keep that idea in mind so that we can continue to grow. And then with that, annually, we try to assign to say say there's 6,000 elders appointed or elder units appointed among the, the movement, then we're like, okay, every elder should take three people who know less than them. I don't, I don't care, you know, something less than them. And for three months, shoulder up with them, okay? And then now the four of you each take three more for the next quarter. And if you do that, then... Even uh, at this point, with maybe over a quarter of a million believers, we can still touch 
almost everybody, certainly some people fall through the cracks, but we can touch almost every person in the movement annually. And so that gives a great, a bit, a great uh, feeling of being a part of something bigger, right? And so that was one of the aspects I think that was a challenge. And the other thing is just being able to keep track of what's going on. But we were able to, through that individual keeping a paper map of their ministry, then annually, I just want a copy of that map. That is your map. You need that, right? I'm not, a, I'm not here for the numbers, but I have an opportunity to tell the world what's going on if I can get a copy of that. And so annually, we'll get those pieces of paper back. I'm, I'm talking 10,000 pieces of paper, oh. um, 195 different people groups. And when we sort through that and collate all that information annually, but and even this year, um, the guys in the field did that. So what normally takes us 10 to 12 days, they, they spent 30 days. Some of those guys are the first time they've ever been behind a laptop, you know, or touched a keyboard. But they were able to do it, right? They just stayed after it and, and worked. And, uh, you know, it's, it's growing them. Those administrative skills, you know, are something that also needs to happen. Uh, but God has already put that in the harvest as well. Again, the, part of the reason that that's able to happen is also, like he was saying, that idea of the substation passing information down. Well, this kind of thing, they're able to pass information back up as well. And so the local elders, the local people that have been assigned sort of over a geographical area, they can pass that information back up to the to the few key leaders that we closely relate to um, and get that information back to us so that then we can report it. Yeah. How, how has your role as the sort of outside catalysts, how has it changed as the movements developed? Well, you know, in the beginning we were hands-on and, you know, we were practically learning how to, roll out we're practically uh getting from god and his word a process we all call the core missionary task what would be the teaching elements in our particular method that filled in each one of those categories um and so we got that we got uh, for for years i was cracking open sd cards and putting them in recording machines and and we've handed that off as well so that the, the the lay people are doing that work now. And so our our um, responsibility becomes more of an idea, more more of the person who's able to step away. We talk about getting 30,000 foot view, um, coming up with the idea, uh, that even that we just elder teams taking three or four guys. Uh, in particular, uh, assessing uh, from that annual data recovery, uh, where might be, uh, what might be some weaknesses? What are what are some things that we need to revisit or uh, strengthen? And so it, it's 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 really kind of an ma- maintaining the ideology uh, and and just 
expansion, keep continuing to give the idea of expansion. And by God's grace, you know, we're going to move outside of this state and we're going to move outside of that state. And we're going to move into you know, all of India and, you know, uttermost, uttermost part of the world. That's that's call is for us, too. A while back, a few, maybe three years, four years ago, we got the, the people group lists for our part of the world uh, translated uh, into the local languages and into the hands of our believers. And uh, so they they have been praying for those people groups for quite some time. Um, we, we put maps in front of them so that they could see the areas and see they could see the geography of where they're at and where their villages and where their churches are and how much area there is where there's not any. So we started casting that vision you know, earlier, early on, once we had a, a, a good workforce, as Glenn said, a good a good body of believers that that were um, being faithful to share the gospel. And then we began seeing God um, putting that in the hearts of some of these men and women. I can remember when um, we got word from Debraj that one of our brothers, Niranjan, was asking for Gujarati cards. Now, Niranjan is a Punjabi speaker, lives in a Punjabi speaking area. And we got word that he was wanting Gujarati cards. And of course, our first response is, Why? what is Niranjan needing with Gujarati cards? Well, he was going into Gujarat to do some harvest work, and he wanted to take some Gujarati cards along with him so that he could share the gospel in those areas. Um, another brother, Balvinder, he was going into um, Haryana and even into UP doing um, harvest labor work. But, oh, because Balvinder was going to be going back to doing some follow-up because he had had some believers in some of the area there while he had been there for six months doing uh, farm work. And he was going to be, you know, several months later, he was going to be going back and following up with some of these families. And we asked, can we help with uh, bus fare for him? And they're like, no, the believers have are already taking care of that with, with their tithe. So, so the believers in these villages, they did, they began to catch that vision for reaching beyond just their village, their district, and even into to other states. Um, of India as they were going. Currently, we have a, a young man from Odessa, which is a notoriously persecuted place, and he's shouldering up with with our deep Raj, um to practically observe. They're they're covering thousands of kilometer of real estate to to show him in the field Bible studies, the consistency, the pattern that is there and any place that he goes that he sees the pattern again and again and again. And that if you're going to have, you know, a larger impact than one congregation, then this is the kind of movement, the kind of process that you would need to exercise to, to work with. And, and so uh, as that, as that is happening, we're having some opportunity to translate the the content, you know, into some Arabic languages, uh, Vietnamese, Khmer, uh, Spanish, and so, you know, could we have a global impact? And like I said in the first one, we we set out to do the same thing every every couple does, right? We didn't we didn't know. Uh, but it takes all of our efforts. If if there is, you know, 
there's not a there's not a percentage but yet it seems as though you know if 10 of us swing the bat somebody hits the ball you know and so we've all sacrificed together the the fruit isn't ours the fruit's the lord's right mm-hmm. so we all get to take joy in the in the fruit and and you know i've seen colleagues you know lose children mm-hmm. suffer terribly um but you know i think i think to a man or to a woman they would say, yeah, you know, it's worth it because we see God's glory going forward, his uh, kingdom expanding, his uh, name and being known about, amongst those who walked in darkness for thousands of years. And um, my sister Sita came to mind. Um, and this is a an illiterate, um, small little woman that lives in a village in the middle of nowhere. You have to take a train. Uh, from our city, which was the capital city of the state, you had to take a train for about 12 hours, and then you had to uh, ride by a car or taxi for another four or five hours just to get in the middle of nowhere to where she lives. Um, but that woman has had an amazing impact. When she had a um, a way to share the gospel, when she had a way to make disciples that she could become competent and confident and independent to use. That little woman out there in the middle of nowhere has mentored probably about 500 other women over the last um, eight, nine, 10 years um, in this, in, in using this process and using these SD cards. And um, just not long ago, I received a video. Um, they'll send us reports and pictures and things. I received a video of her working in a field planting and I thought she was walking alongside of a man and I knew that wasn't her husband <laughs> so we asked you know what who is that what is Sita doing so Sita had a bible study in this home and they were uh, it was a lost family that she was sharing with them she had been sharing with them for a little while and the wife had gotten sick and had to go back she had gone back to her villa a different village with to her parents and at that time the family's fields had failed. The seed had failed and uh, they weren't going to have any crops. And so Sita had gone after her day of work, after her duties, after her labor in her own farm, she had gone in the evening and walked alongside that man and helped him replant his whole fields. Um, And it's those kind of things. I I, I think um, if, if we could have the passion and the 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 faithfulness and the um, the hunger that they have, uh, this world would be a different place. And so I'm just so thankful for uh, that that God put a tool into her hands that she felt confident to use and has really impacted. I stood on her roof and her husband looked around the village with us and he said, "Well." When this all started, that family believed and that family believed and we believed, our, our house believed. He said, now only this home and this home don't believe. That whole village had been impacted um, because of those, those few believers in that village. And multiple villages now around them have been impacted. Many years ago, when, when my, my 16-year-old was a baby, I was just in the city and I passed a boy 
on the side of the road who was emaciated and naked and had like a two foot by one foot piece of cloth on his shoulders. And I had my driver stopped and I tried to process what I was seeing. And we ended up getting this boy, uh, couldn't find any orphanage that would take him. Uh, ended up my national partner who wasn't married at the time took care. He lived with him. We met, you know, we, he had actually been burned by his father, uh, poured kerosene on and lit on fire for some reason. We don't know, but, um, anyway, the, the boy, uh, recovered to the best degree that he could. And we put him in school and just in December, uh, Shaquille passed away in his sleep, but that was the least of among us who had an opportunity to come to faith and believe through, was it a sacrifice for me? I don't, I can't hardly account it. A sacrifice at that point. Thanks for listening. You can visit movements.net episode 293 if you'd like to follow the links that Glenn and Rhonda Stewart's materials.